0: Amen. Good to be with you this morning. No, I am not Corey Trevathan. And because I'm not, I can say Roll Tide. Now, there's something holy about the first Saturday in September, turning on your TV. You know what I'm going with this, Eric. Turning on your TV screens, more than one, having more than one steady stream of college football. With a little ranger wind thrown in, all is right with the world. Aggies pulled it out, Doug. Ooh, that was a close one. A lot of upsets, but all is right with the world when college football returns. I just want to remind you that next week we are starting a new series. We're excited about this. Uh, Corey's going to kick off a new series called Choose to Believe. Faith versus Fear. We're in a pretty fearful season, it seems to me, by what I read on Facebook and what I read in the news. So it's appropriate for us to invite God in to speak a word of faith and trust into that. And that's what Corey's is going to do starting next week with some great Old Testament stories. I invite you to invite a friend to be with us as that series kicks off next week. Choose to believe. We're excited about that. Um, how many of you like movies? Anybody like movies? I like movies. I'm not a fervent go-to-the-theater moviegoer, but I like to watch movies. My wife will tell you that, that I am a fanatic about Batman. If you've been in my office, you know that. But my wife likes to watch movies too. In fact, when she's watching movies, it drives her crazy because I would try to figure out the plot of that movie and ruin it for her in the first five minutes of the movie. Anybody else like that? I see some of this going on. That's me. Drives are crazy. You ever notice that when movies come to the theater that there seems to be four or five storylines that fill every movie? We could probably name them all. You've got, uh, let's see, you've got the hero versus the villain story. That seems to always have a show in the theater, right? You've got the sports underdog. You've got Pixar. That's its own character by itself. You've got outer space movies. You've got destruction of the planet and species movies, right? Those are the movies that seem to always be occupying a theater. But one of my favorite genres of movies are the prison or the prison escape movie. Movies like Escape from Alcatraz, Clint Eastwood comes to mind. 1979, that was a good one. Remember uh, The Green Mile? Tom Hanks and Michael Clark Duncan, that was a good one. Uh, I love The Rock, Nicolas Cage, Sean Connery, that was a good one. But I think my favorite is the Shawshank Redemption. The escape and the redemption that follows in that prison story is pretty incredible. This morning we're going to dig into a block of text in Acts chapter 16 that has a similar prison story. And as we do that, we're going to find pretty quickly that there's a lot to the miraculous events that happen on this day. While we'll see that there's an earthquake, and that earthquake is a really important part of the story in Luke's text. It's the events before and after that earthquake that provide for us a pretty telling picture of how Jesus and a kingdom story all started with a simple conversation. The first story starts in Acts chapter 16, verse 11. I'm going to summarize a couple of these stories here really quick for us as we get started. Paul and Silas are on a journey together. They're beginning their day in Philippi as they would have done on the Sabbath with prayer. Only problem is, Philippi is a much more pagan city than other places they have been. So they decide they're going to go outside the city gates, hoping, expecting to find a place where they can pray. And when they find a place, they find a small gathering of women on the banks of a river and they started to have a conversation. One person in this gathering has captured their attention and she's captivated by them as well. Her name is Lydia and she is a God-fearer. Your translation might call her a worshiper of God. The impression in this story that's given is that she is a very self-sufficient, successful businesswoman. There's no mention of a husband in the text. She describes the house as her house. She's apparently got a decent income, and her hospitality has demonstrated very fine character. And Lydia plays the role for Luke of a very ideal potential disciple in this story. Matter of fact, her home becomes the spiritual center for this entire city. And the story presumes that she is going to become a spiritual leader in Philippi. For all her accomplishments, she had a spiritual need in this story that is satisfied by hearing God's word. She's got some level of interest, or she wouldn't have been there at this place having conversation and prayer. And look at what verse 14 says. There's a point about Lydia being a disciple, being saved because the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. The door was opened by a conversation and Paul walked through and the Lord worked through him. Second story, verse 16. We move on and yet again, Paul and the gang are on their way to pray, but this day is a little different. This day is marked by this girl, two stories Central character women, both so far. This girl who had been following them around for some time. She's possessed by what? A demon. An evil spirit. Because of this spirit in her, her owners have taken advantage of her, roaming about and making money for them, telling fortunes, soothsaying, reading poems. So you've got at conflict already in this second story, the little G gods, in conflict with God's kingdom. And here is this possessed girl trailing God's kingdom missionaries running around in a city that's full of pagan influence. Not only that, but she's screaming, these people are servants of the most high God. That's important because her saying that says that their God is in opposition with Zeus. Potential social problem here. And as we find out, it is going to be a problem for Paul and the gang. Another thing that's important, what does she call them? She calls them servants of the Most High God. That word servant is important because it's not a very good translation. That word is actually slave. She's a slave. But she sees something different about Paul and Silas enough in the original language to say, these guys are slaves to the Most High. Social problem explodes. She can see that they're slaves to Christ, and there's something for us to learn about that, what it means to be a slave to Christ in the story. Here's a picture of some demon which holds this victim, this poor girl in bondage. Paul's had enough of it. Finally, he casts out the demon, cures her in the name of Christ, and you would think a celebration would follow. She's free, thank God. But no, she's not free. She is still a slave. Not a person, a piece of property. And upon seeing all of this unfold, the Philippi Chamber of Commerce bursts into action. Should sound all too familiar. Remember another story in Luke chapter 8. Jesus cures a mentally deranged man, casts a demon into some pigs and runs him over the edge of the cliff. You remember that? What happens? For that act of charity, he's escorted out of town by the Pork Dealers Association. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Here's a young woman chained her whole life to the hell of demon possession, and now she is free There ought to be rejoicing, but no, her owners are not free enough to do that. The owners of this demon-possessed girl don't come right out and say what it is that the problem is with this girl's liberation. That it's their financial self-interest that's threatened, that their nation is threatened. Instead, what do they say, verse 20 and 21? We're not against a little religion as long as it's kept in its place, but look at what they say at the end. These men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs which are not lawful for us Romans to accept or practice. Well, the liberators become the imprisoned. Here Jesus has helped set a poor young woman free and two of his guys get jailed in the process. We pick it up in verse 25. Read with me. About The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds that immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and he set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. He and his whole household, the word of the Lord. Placed in the inner cell and put in stocks. Some thank you. This was the place that was reserved for the worst of the worst. I think I mentioned this to you last week. I walked down into one of our kids' class and they're acting out this text, beating up poor Kevin as he helped the kids get in place and pretended to be the jailer and Paul and Silas. If you were put in the inner cell in stocks, you could expect torture. So if this had happened to you, ask yourself this question How might you be feeling? What might you be doing? Under these conditions, what are you doing? Praying? Probably. I could see that. You'd just been beaten within an inch of your life. But singing? I don't think so. Maybe this is just my own weirdness, but I'd like to know what song they were singing in that moment. Wouldn't you? These guys are just incorrigible, and it's no wonder that the others in the prison were listening with some increased interest as well. Then comes the great earthquake, and you can be assured it was an incredible scene. The earth heaves, the prison shakes, the doors fly open, and everyone's chains fall off. The jailer wakes up, and when he sees that the doors are open, he is horrified. Knowing what happens to jailers who permit their prisoners to escape, he draws his sword prepares to do the honorable thing for disgraced jailers. You'd think having the key to someone else's cell would make you free. Not the case. But as he's drawing his sword about to make the slash, Paul saves him. Wait, we're all here. Stop. Don't do that. Gang's all here. Once again, Paul initiated a conversation. Jailer's got to be asking himself, what in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? Why in the world this guy even cares about him? So the jailer takes him out of the cell. And here's an important turn. The jailer asks a very important question, doesn't he? What must I do to be saved? It's a two-level question. There's the immediate in the moment I got to get out of here. What are you going to do to help me get out of this mess level to this question, right? The practical. Then there's the much deeper question, and it's a question that some of us who have been long-term followers of Jesus would do well to ask ourselves on a regular basis. What must I do to be saved? What must I do to be really rescued? Paul responds, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you and your household will be saved. The jailer is transformed. Right then and there, the jailer dresses their wounds. The jailer and his family are baptized. They're converted, to use an old churchy word. The jailer brings Paul and Silas into his home, and he feeds them what had to have been an incredibly celebratory meal. This is a familiar pattern to us. We've been talking about these stories in Jesus parables where once was what was once lost becomes found and what follows is a party or a celebration meal. Well, that's what happens here. Hospitality is offered and practiced through a celebration meal. Sounds a lot like the story of the prodigal son before the guy can even get the speech out of his mouth that he's prepared to give his father. He's gone and said, give me the best cut of meat, give me a ring, give me the best clothes, and we're going to have a party because what once was lost is found again. Man, if you think there was worship in the prison before the earthquake, what a celebration must have been happening right then. They couldn't keep it to themselves. Verse 35, the story continues. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent the officers to the jailer with the orders, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. Paul's so smart. Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens and threw us into prison. And now do they want to get rid of us quietly? No. Let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates that when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. It's an awfully soft word probably for what they really were feeling. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went back to Lydia's house where they, were met, where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. Then they left. Daylight comes and the officials, the magistrates, send word to release Paul and Silas. And this jailer says, I've got great news. I've got your walking papers, brothers. Go in peace. And Paul realizes he's got a chance to flex his Roman muscle. Nope. You beat us senseless within an inch of our lives without a trial, mind you, even though we're Roman. Throw us into prison and you just want us to leave quietly? I don't even think so. Let your, your bosses march themselves down off their high horses and escort us out themselves. Now, why in the world would Paul at this moment raise the issue of his Roman citizenship? Some people think, well, he's just being difficult. He's being vengeful for his own sake. I don't think that's the case at all. Because we have to read this within the context of what he's doing for this group of believers in Philippi. He could have invoked his status in his own defense much earlier. He could have mentioned that he was a Roman citizen, maybe avoided the beating altogether. But he didn't say a word then. I kind of wondered what would have happened if he had said a word. Does the jailer come to Jesus? Who knows? Well, Paul does speak of peace for the sake of the Christians in Philippi. And you can see what a difference it was by having these magistrates come down and meet the believers and apologize to Paul and Silas to acknowledge they'd been treated unfairly and illegally. When Paul did it, it put the church and Philippi in an incredibly different light within the society. And this is the first mention we have in this text of any additional believers other than the jailer. I got a thesis or a a thought on who I think those people were. You want to hear it? I guess not. <laughs> Do you want to hear it? Yes. I think it's all the people who heard him singing. People are always watching you when you sing your songs. Well, we're not told what happened to them, but the prisoners who were listening intently, they too are freed by this event. And Paul's final act is to gather all the believers together, encourage, teach, and admonish them to go on in the Lord, share together each other's burdens, pray for each other, rejoice together, because you cannot live the Christ's life alone. Well, you see this picture that Luke has painted for us. In every one of these situations, these stories, it begins with a conversation. Conversation about Jesus and what his mission was all about. And why Paul and his guys were so different than the pagan culture of Philippi. That's what starts this ball rolling and what follows. Transformation. There is a desire for noticeable change. And anytime someone has a true encounter with the living God, Father, Son, and Spirit, there should be transformation. Lydia, the slave girl, the jailer, all those who heard the song Paul and Silas sang at midnight, every one of them transformed. And what follows and works hand in hand with transformation? Salvation. Christ is embraced, a new life is begun, baptism occurs. But what I think perhaps is most significant for us this morning is people who are seeking to live out the mission of God in 2016. As people who have discerned that we are called to be a community of caring people bringing life on earth as it is in heaven. As citizens of the kingdom of God is what follows salvation in these occurrences. And that is hospitality. You ever thought about the link between salvation and Hospitality. We can trace it throughout Scripture. Jesus, the night of the Last Supper, who did he welcome to his table? Peter. We know what Peter did. Three denials and he fell asleep on the job. Judas. We knew what he was going to do. There were no conditions on who was welcome. All throughout these stories of Jesus, there are people lost, found, saved, and then a party and celebration follows. In the supper we share, we seek to model that hospitality. We seek to welcome all to this place and to the table of the Lord. You get a hint of this story back in verse 15. I love the way the message translates this exchange between Lydia and Paul and the gang. Verse 15, after she was baptized along with everyone in her household, she said in a surge of hospitality, if you're confident that I'm with you in this and believe in the master truly, come home with me and be my guests. Paul says, "Mm, we hesitated, but she would not take no for an answer take the jailer in verse 33 just after he hears god's word and believes that word that's been spoken to him the text says at that hour of the night immediately in that moment he took them washed their wounds and at once he was baptized and all his household with him then he took him to his house put food on the table and rejoiced with his whole house that he had believed in god He's baptized, his family's baptized, and what is the response? He welcomes them into his home and has the biggest celebration potluck he could have. This is much more than an expression of God's grace to us just as we are. It's a model. It's a model for how we are to share grace, forgiveness, welcome, hospitality, just as it has been given to all of us, just as we are. And finally, it reminds us as the church how we're supposed to worship, serve, and live for the sake of the world. We live in a time that all we seem to hear about the church is that people are turning away from it and leaving it and from organized religion because they don't see us living out the story They see people who live life differently on Monday through Saturday than they do for a couple of hours on a Sunday morning. And if we're going to be followers of Jesus Christ, a church that is of Christ and about the kingdom of God, then we need to be reminded, as Luke reminds us here, that people who are being transformed, and that word "transform" is not a past tense word. It's a present, always happening word. As people who are being transformed, Into the image of Jesus, saved, baptized believers in Jesus Christ, we have got to share the same welcome with others that Christ has unconditionally shared with us. Is that what you signed up for? Are you here today to fulfill a religious obligation, checking the box that you offered your religious service? Or are you here to be reminded of the welcome we have all received Of the forgiveness we've received and to once again be transformed into the image of Christ to offer that same welcome to the world. Maybe you're here looking to start a conversation. Our elders and their wives are going to be throughout the room in just a minute and they'd love to start that conversation with you. Maybe someone, maybe because someone started a conversation with you, you're ready to tell your God story to the world. Maybe you're ready to be baptized today. We'd love to help you with that. We want to help love, serve, pray, welcome you in this place. Stand with me if you would. We're going to pray and then we're going to sing and we encourage you to pray in these moments as well. Let's pray together. May all who call on the name of Jesus Christ in this place be changed by his living, active, transforming presence in our lives. May we be forgiving as we have been forgiven. May we love unconditionally as Christ has unconditionally loved us. May the world see Jesus in us at all times, not just in an hour on a Sunday. And may the world want to know you more. May we fall deeper and deeper in love with you and help us to know you, Father. May we be slaves to you and you alone and to your calling on our lives. In the name of the one who sets us free, Jesus Christ, we pray and we say together, amen. Amen.